0: Welcome to Game Mechanics, a show about tabletop role-playing games from lots of different perspectives. I'm Logan Jenkins. Today, I'm talking with Will Yule, a very prolific writer of mostly micro-RPGs, which are exactly what they sound like, bite-sized role-playing game concept explorations that only take up a few pages. I was curious to talk to Will about distilling concepts into a, that small of a space. We talked about advantages, disadvantages, and even the purpose of writing tiny games. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation, so let's get to it.
1: Howdy, howdy, Welcome
0: to the show. Uh, for the listeners, can you introduce yourself?
1: Sure. My name's Will Yule. I am a tabletop RPG developer. I'm also a journalist, but uh, most of the work that I'm doing these days, <laughs> the tabletop RPG stuff is a lot more exciting to me right now. <laughs> I've got a lot of games out. Well, a lot of them are micro RPGs, so they're little, you know, bite-sized things. Uh, like Radical Spin, which lets you play as your questionably ironic Sonic OC. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's also stuff like Mystic Lilies, which I ran a Kickstarter for in about October and have been working on, which is all about terrible garbage witches and the social magic drama between them. So that's been a lot of fun to develop and is coming out soon, TM. That sounds so marvelous. (laughs) I am... I I feel really blessed that that Kickstarter went as well as it did. The fact that I get to not just make this game, but like get all of the cool art in it that I want there is just really something to be grateful for.
0: Yeah, the art is beautiful for sure. Thank you. Well, amazing. Um, I'm just going to start asking some questions. Let's go for it. (laughs) Uh, This is what I ask of, I think everybody that's been on the show has answered this one. But
1: what's your favorite mechanic in any game? There's a lot of mechanics that I really like in a lot of my favorite games. You know, I could talk about Monster Hearts for a while, but um, I think it's actually the dice in Genesis and the Fantasy Flight games is uh, Star Wars games. It's, they are yeah. these like proprietary dice that don't have any numbers on them. They have these like abstract symbols that represent success and failure and threats and complications, and they cancel each other out and it's so cool to me how there's no level of numbers abstraction to it. It's just you get a roll and then what comes out is basically always interesting. And I really wish I could use them in games I was developing because I have <laughs> a lot of ideas for that. But unfortunately, I can't, you know, mail these proprietary pieces of plastic with all of the games that I make. So mm. big F. well i mean that's it's interesting you mentioned it's a level
0: of abstraction like there's no level of number abstraction because you're exactly right first of all we're playing the uh, fantasy flight star wars in the current season of very random encounters so and i i'm fully on board like the the fact that like a you can have this thing where like the very best thing that you wanted to happen happens and also simultaneously the worst thing happens And then just as interestingly, you can roll your dice and it says, like,
1: all dice cancel out. And you're just like, what? What does this mean? (laughs) You know, I am a huge fan of partial successes in, you know, especially as seen as seen in the Power by the Apocalypse uh, games. But the genesis and you know i guess i should just call them the, the fantasy flight games dice really take them to the next level with the different degrees of you know you failed but good things happen <laughs> you failed and bad things happen you know there's mm-hmm. there's so many fun gradations in there
0: yeah i love it i love it uh, it is i it, i find it's challenging for the the gm sometimes oh yeah uh, <laughs> 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 uh, like I, i've definitely played with some folks who Are less interested in that um that complexity and because the book is like if you can't think of anything just make them take a uh i think it's stress right uh yeah there's stress or strain yeah strain there you go that's what it is so that's like always what the like threat is and so that's i'm like oh you're missing it you're missing the most delicious (laughs) part but alas uh so hey what's your favorite game and why
1: Well, I mentioned it earlier, I owe Monster Hearts to a lot. Um, Not just because it probably put in some of the first big cracks in the queer dam in my brain. Um, (laughs) I love the fact that I started a Monster Hearts group with a bunch of um, cishet guys, and that campaign lasted a while, and by the time it ended... Uh, people, people have changed you know, had, had some personal <laughs> revelations and the fact that that is kind of normal or at least not extraordinary like I've heard that um, the developer of Monster oh for context Monster Hearts is a game about teenage drama and queer relationship and supernatural uh, beings and yeah. it, there's a lot of great metaphor for um, teenage struggles as supernatural um, powers and things like that. But yeah, the the game is very just like deeply queer. And (laughs) it is so funny to me that apparently um, it is kind of common for Avery, the uh, developer of the game, to have people come up to her and be like, Thank you so much. Monster hearts made me gay or something like that. (laughs) Um, Monster hearts just showed you your true monster heart. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, you know, beyond that, it also inspired a lot of my game design because I think, you know, not just the fact that it was the first powered by the apocalypse game that I really like dug into and, you know, seeing like, oh man, partial success is so cool. (laughs) You know, the stats are super thematic, you know, there there are four stats in the game, hot, cool, dark, and volatile.
0: Huh. And
1: I it it is like such a important thing to me in game design to make sure that your stats are thematically representing your characters, because it not every game you need to be able to have a perception stat or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you have that element of showing me like, oh, you can have your stats be these kind of weird things that don't fully represent, you know, ah, this is how good your legs are or how good your (laughs) eyes are. (laughs) And then it um, goes even further with all of these um, great mechanics that like subtly and and sometimes not so subtly get the players to um, socially manipulate each other um, for XP and things like that. There's... There's so much there. I really, really have a deep fondness for Monster Hearts, and I encourage anyone who has a passion for tabletop RPGs and especially is thinking of getting into game development to take a look at it, even if it is completely not the kind of game you're interested in writing. I think it does so many things right that it is worth uh, taking a look at it and learning some of its lessons. It's incredible. Thank you yeah totally uh quick (laughs) uh second place shout out to ryutama for just oh my god ryutama is incredible for just how masterfully it evokes big cozy energy yeah Um, like
0: my my boyfriend bought that for me and i cannot wait to play it it's it looks so
1: good oh it's it is so much fun and having the, that book is so beautiful just in terms of all of the art in it. I am glad I got a fiscal copy uh, kind of recently, you know, just leafing through it and seeing all of the beautiful, warm and cozy illustrations and it is really, really delightful. But uh, yeah, big recommend. And that's also a game that is super friendly to new RPG players. So definitely recommended for that crowd too.
0: Nice. All right. Um so on subject of your games. First of mm-hmm. all, there's like a million of them. Congratulations <laughs> on putting out Thank so you. many. Thank you. I'm glad you think so. <laughs> I mean, like I'm struggling to get one game like playtested and understandable. Out there.
1: That's very understandable. I don't know <laughs> I don't know how big the game is, but um if I can certainly say for a lot of the uh, micro RPGs that I've made, playtesting is great, but if it's <laughs> if it's a page <laughs> then it'll probably be fine. Nothing goes yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair.
0: So I noticed that a bunch of these games are like clearly inspired or directly, like in the Net Battlers one, uh, mm-hmm. related to an existing IP. Uh, could you talk a bit about that?
1: Sure, yeah. I For me, one of the biggest motivations for writing role-playing games is making games that let you tell stories that you couldn't really tell before. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just because I don't like competition. But (laughs) I, I think it's also, I think there's also real fun with the idea of being like, I'm the first person who is trying to answer these questions about how you do this. And whether that is something like making a Mega Man Battle Network game and thinking about, okay, so you have these two distinct characters that you're, Playing? Do you play? Well, well, do you play both of them? Do you have some people play one, some people play the other? And there, I think when you are thinking about adapting media, there's so many interesting questions that you get to ask and then answer. And you know, really, I find distilling down the core essence of something is a valuable way to kind of process media in a way that I don't normally do. Yeah. And also just sometimes when someone says, hey, Will, you should make a Hamtara RPG. And they're joking. <laughs> and then I'm like, ha, ha, ha. How stupid. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just you just get going on a place that you never thought you'd go. Is that when Chit Chat?
0: Is that Hamtara? Yeah,
1: that huh. that's basically what happened with Chit Chat. Someone was just like, nice. hey, Will, you should make a Hamtara RPG. And I was like, ha, nice. Very <laughs> great joke, friend. Wait a second. Hamtara. Because I played this this Hamtaro Game Boy Advance game that uh, a long time ago that focused on filling out a dictionary of ham Chat, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, I can't really think of any games where the where it's all centering around words. I mean, okay, they're Scrabble, but tabletop RPGs specifically. Yeah, and going from there and thinking about you know, okay. This is also a series that's all about cutesy teamwork and, you know, power of friendship to overcome, I don't know, Mm -hmm. there's a cat, or how do we climb up on the table. (laughs) And putting some of those things together, I came up with Chit Chat, which is this very cutesy game everyone's playing as these, like, tiny fuzzy critters, and you use the power of wordplay, like, everyone, basically when you get to an obstacle everyone writes down a word you know they say what part of speech it is so like noun verb or whatever everyone writes down what the word is secretly and then once everyone has theirs written they reveal them simultaneously and you have to figure out how do we put together a sentence out of this to say what we <laughs> want to do and it's such a it's such a silly little thing but there's a lot of fun that can come out of being like well okay uh they just wrote balloon <laughs> i guess we got to figure out how a a balloon is in this now
0: (laughs) that's that's really neat yeah thank you i also like the the thing that you mentioned about processing media in a different way i that's a huge part of a lot of rpgs that i love um and i almost like it's akin to like rock band how rock band is like a different way to experience music Mm. playing a game that is an existing IP is is a different way to experience that media. And you can write stories that perhaps aren't in the text, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I, I think thinking about not just how do we capture the spirit of the original media, but then how do you make something that will allow the players to kind of go beyond that and do things that are... Related to the original media, but not constrained by it. Yeah. Which is why, of course, Radical Spin, the game where you play as what are functionally um, Sonic the Hedgehog original characters do not steal. (laughs) Uh, One of the (laughs) one of the settings you can roll up is absolutely a high school because there (laughs) is there is no more cherished pastime in fan fiction history than the Sonic high school. Nice. (laughs) So, yeah, I was
0: talking earlier about how there's literally like a dozen games that you've written. <laughs> Some of them are playbooks uh, on, this, on your Mary Menster Games page, mm-hmm. but uh, most of them are like micro RPGs. What, what draws you to writing tiny RPGs?
1: Well, I think part of it is that they're low commitment. And when dealing with big projects, it's nice to have something that has a quick turnaround. You know, I can just take an idea and be like, oh, what if I did this? And then while I'm still in the honeymoon phase of like, oh man, I'm really just about this idea. I can just bang <laughs> the whole thing out. And then by the time I'm kind of getting to the point of like, ooh, okay, this is getting kind of tough. You know, the honeymoon phase is waning. Oh, I just need to do some like proofreading or like tidy up the layout. And then bam, put <laughs> it out on Drive-thru RPG, and then I can move on to the next thing. Nice. Also, I just have a lot of ideas that aren't really suited to anything more complex than, you know, one or two pages. Like, could I write a a ten or one hundred page RPG about w- wizards dueling with the power of wordplay? Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe, but I don't think it would be. <laughs> I don't think it would be a good idea. I I don't. I mean, I think the brevity
0: here is a strength. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think it's more challenging to write something that is like parsable and a fun game that is very in on a very small scale instead of having like
1: dungeon crawl classics or whatever. We have 600 pages. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's that's very fair. I think each idea for a game has different scopes that will work better for it. Yeah. And I know I'm kind of at a point right now where I have a bunch of micro RPGs that I'm you know, kind of have on the docket that are, you know, half made and I want to finish up. But I also, I'm at a point where I'm really enjoying making things that are like maybe six pages, maybe 10 pages. <laughs> and I'm kind of, you know, hoping I can pivot to spending some more of my time working on some of those products that could use just a little bit more, uh, a, a, little, a little bit more content to have enough bite to run like a couple mini campaigns with them and still feel fresh. But
0: yeah. So what, uh, for that, what is your writing process? Like if the date here is literally when they came out, then you're banging out like more than one per
1: month. It looks like. <laughs> <laughs> well, that it definitely fluctuates. Uh, there have been some months where I've put out two. There have been some months where I've put out zero. I was trying to put out one every month. And then I found out that, that that's actually quite difficult. And the people who do <laughs> that are remarkable, but, uh, I think one of the main things is, I'm the kind of person, I can't just sit down with one project and just work on that from start to finish and not do anything else, because there's, especially with uh, tabletop game development, there's so many different layers to that of, you know, there's the designing the rules, and then there's the actual writing that everyone's going to read, and then there's the graphic design of, you know, the layout and the proofreading. There's, There's so many different steps for it that work on different parts of your brain that Mm. there are sometimes where i like for example there's this game mystic lilies that i've been working on for a while that yeah i think i mentioned i ran a kickstarter for it uh Mm -hmm. months ago and that's at the point where it's pretty much just down to proofreading and like letting the artist finish up but there's no real game development left for that and there's very little writing period left to do for that at all, and I'm not just gonna not develop games for a couple months because that's still, you know, work in progress, so I think juggling a lot of different things at once lets me have something exciting that I can always work on, and if some- if I need to put something down for a while, then that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be, you know, still working on fun and exciting things for, you know, weeks or months or whatever.
0: Hmm. Nice. I uh, so essentially what you're saying is like the the fact that they're small sort of means that you can sort of flit around to whatever is uh what you can do at the moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, the the fact that they're small means that I can like I have between three and five micro RPGs that are like half made right now that I just have sitting in the background waiting for me to get back and really like drill down on them and answer some of the challenging questions about you know how to take them from idea to final product and I think having a, a lot of projects that you can you can work on when you're excited about them lets you avoid burnout a lot uh, easier in my experience. I'm I'm like making these mental notes of like this is what I need to do so I can
0: finally get a couple of games out there. Okay, uh, this is another one that I ask. Uh, I'm pretty sure everyone that has been on the show, but if you could fix in quotation marks anything in a game, in any game, what would it be?
1: Uh, does making D&D not colonialist count?
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure it does. Yeah, <laughs> D&D D&D has gotten a lot of the. Uh, could you fi- if you could fix anything in a game? Uh, I mean, that answers. that
1: makes sense just because it's the most, it, it, it is, for, for better or for worse, the face of tabletop RPGs. Yeah. Uh, I I think, honestly, if to answer this question in um, maybe closer to its intention, I think, so this isn't just something I would apply to one game. It's something I would apply to probably every game that does this. Anytime there are playable quote unquote races, I would really reconsider calling them playable species or playable yep. heritages or something like that. Because, you know, it it's really inconvenient that humans have done a racism in the past, <laughs> but it's something that you you kind of need to take into consideration. And like there's a game that I've been working on in the background very, very slowly. Like I actually started it before Net Battlers. Many years ago, and put it down for a while. But part of it is that you're playing as different animal people. So you can be a shark person who can breathe underwater and, you know, fun, fun, goofy stuff like that. <laughs> but then being like, okay, hold on. Humanity's done a bit of a jerk move and has, you know, given some bad stigmas to the ways that people are different when they're born or the ways that they're not. Mm-hmm. And I can't just make this game and pretend that that's not a thing i need to think about okay what are the implications of the fact that you have these different looking people who have these different you know biological powers and how is that something i can handle well if so how <laughs> yeah it's it's worth considering in every game for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think e- even just the simplest thing of just not calling them races, even mm-hmm. though the biggest game does it, would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's <laughs> probably my best answer.
0: Excellent. Uh, uh, yes, just that, that one, this one weird trick <laughs> can make your game <laughs>
1: less less bad. <laughs> Grocknards hate them, one weird trick. <laughs>
0: Is, is there anything else you'd like to talk about?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I really want to encourage people to take on the projects that they really care about, the, the projects that get them really excited, even if they think that no one's going to care about them. Like, Net Battlers kind of started that way, though I had kind of an idea that, you know, oh, okay, there's a bunch of fans of the Mega Man Battle Network series who haven't gotten a you know, anything from Capcom in quite a while. (laughs) Maybe there will be some people out there who will like a tabletop RPG inspired by this game that is very near and dear to my heart. But even without that idea of, you know, anyone else that might enjoy what you're working on, like, for example, there's a game that I've been working on recently. Uh, This is a game that is inspired... I have a friend, Jonathan Ver Duncan, who's an incredible artist, and he does a lot of these very um, thoughtful and introspective and spiritual pieces of anthropomorphic characters and does a lot of um, very interesting traditional art with them and he has this series of charcoal paintings they're not they're not all charcoal but a lot of them are charcoal of these chicken people (laughs) that are entirely black um like jet black it's based off of a kind of breed of chicken called i think it's called i am samani that that they're also all black even just down to the muscle and oh, so yeah. he's had a lot of uh fun just kind of doing doing these meditations on all black and i think they're really beautiful and i had this idea for a game that i was like this is so hilariously self-indulgent like this is i am basically calling myself out by making this <laughs> So, of course, I couldn't restrain myself, and I started working (laughs) on a game called Roosting with Your Hot Chicken Boyfriend, a (laughs) single-player meditative uh, game by Will Yule, and it is this weird game that is honestly maybe more of a uh, guided meditation than a role-playing game, but, you know, don't tell the uh, community moderators on DriveThruRPG or else they might take it down, and... I was like, okay, there is no one else in the world who's going to care about this, but I'm having a lot of fun doing this and trying to make it legitimately good. And then I had people who were coming to me saying, like, this sounds actually really cool. Because I wasn't (laughs) just talking about the fact that this is a game with a super shitposty title. I was also you know, wrote a little bit of description about the fact that I want to make it a meditative experience that gets, that helps the player do some emotional processing and Mm. cleansing through externalization. And it was actually, like, because of that game, I had one of the most generous gifts I've ever gotten during my entire game development um, career so far, which they... We're just like, hey, this sounds not just really cool, this sounds really important, and what will you need to make this the best it can be? And because of that, roosting with your hot chicken boyfriend is going to be coming out (laughs) by the end of the month instead of, like, nebulously months in the future, and it's going to be looking a lot better for it. So make the thing you want to make that you really care about. With enough experience and polish behind it, there will be other people that care too
0: such a good note to Thank sort of, you. I mean, we'll sort of end on, but we have, we have plugs. We have a plug
1: section. <laughs> what <Yeah. were>
0: <laughs> where, where can listeners find your stuff?
1: Well, if you want to come check out me, where's you can go to merrymancergames.com to find all of my games. If you want to support me on Patreon and get a lot of my micro RPGs for free there, well, <laughs> You get my micro RPGs for free if you back at the um, $5 a month level, then that's (laughs) patreon.com slash Yule. that is U-H-L. You can find me on Twitter at Owl. R-A-F-F-I, the owl. And last but not least, the Merry Mentor Games Discord server is a place full of really, really cool people, and I'm super blessed to have it. Uh, If you have looked at any of my games and you're like, I want to find someone to play this with but all of the people around me aren't huge freaking nerds then you can come on the discord we've got like 900 people on there and people are running one or multiple games every day so you can find some great companionship there and i'm very blessed the community is as uh wonderful as it is nice
0: well will thank you so much for being on the show it was a really amazing conversation i hope you had as much fun as i did
1: Absolutely, yeah, this, is, this was a really good time. I'm super glad you had me on. Yeah.
0: Thanks again to Will Yule. You can follow them on Twitter at the Owl and buy their games at MerrymancerGames.com. And yes, that does now include Roosting With Your Hot Chicken Boyfriend. Their games range from $2 to $5, and to my mind, that's a steal, so go get some. Your homework this week is to write whatever you want. Do the thing you care about. Tweet me your project at Logan Jenkins. If you want to hear more from me, check out Very Random Encounters, a podcast where some friends and I play tabletop role-playing games and randomize as much as is possible. Game mechanics is part of The Orange Groves. Check out TheOrangeGroves.com to support this and other great shows on the network. And until your next checkup, that'll be twenty-seven fifty. Bye!